Hello and welcome to the 13th Hour Podcast. This is episode number 442 and this is another Like a Hood Ornament segment. your host Joshua Blum and today we're actually going to be talking about a couple little things. I'm going to be doing a reading from actually a new Rocketeer story that is out at this point. It follows up on last week's episode where we talked about this little Rocketeer card game that I've been working on and that card game is available. You can find it in the appendix of the story that we're about to embark on. If you have been listening to this show for a little while, you may recall me kind of mentioning here and there that I was working on this little choose-your-own-adventure Rocketeer story. It's really something that was really just done for fun. It started out initially as the backstory to the the 8-bit like pixel art game that I started making like maybe two years ago or so, just to kind of learn how to use this games-making program. I wanted to make this one-level game it blossomed into something that's, of course, more complicated. I've, I've only been able to work on it in little fits and starts, but I took the the sprites that I made for that game, and it, it's a functioning level at this point, but I've wanted to fine-tune it, uh, and I, I have to work some on the artificial intelligence for the enemy characters and a few other little things that I, I still have yet to kind of figure out how to do. However, I had all the art basically made, and I took some of the art, it was, you know, like sort of pixel art uh, style uh, sprites, and that formed the art for the, the cards that I talked about last week. So the, all the pictures in there are done in 8-bit style. And so the backstory for that game is essentially the story we're about to be reading. It was very uh, skeletal at the, at, the, at the outset because I didn't really need much. I just needed a premise for this for the game itself which is cliff secourt aka the rocketeer is at the start of world war ii he somehow finds his way in a german chateau and he's got to rescue his friend and mentor and mechanic pv that's it <laughs> so the 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 level uh is basically him running around a castle and a german castle that he can climb on but also rocket up and through that really was the premise that then got fleshed out when Billy Campbell, the of course the actor who was in the Rocketeer movie, came on the show uh, in like August of, was that 2022, I think? And I wanted something for us to kind of, essentially a game, an interactive story for us to kind of go through together. At the time, I was sort of starting to learn a little bit more about this sort of thing and how to tell interactive stories because I wanted to create uh, miniature Dungeons and Dragons campaigns for my Patreon supporters in which we then ended up doing that uh, subsequently. And, you know, for those of you on the Patreon, we still have one more that's written and we have to do. And now that it's 2024, however, that was all pretty new to me at the time. And so it was as a gradual process of learning how to how to tell stories in that particular way. And now that I've kind of gotten the, gotten the hang of it, I, I wanted to go back and refine the story a little bit more. 
and make an actual choose your own adventure story. Because that's essentially what we did when uh, Billy came on the podcast. There were a bunch of choices that he could make for each different step, and that would influence how the story went. Now, he ended up getting like the good ending. Uh, he went all the way through, and then there's a but uh, there were a number of other endings and uh, choices that you could make that would take you to a different place. And so I wrote them all. I, I think the idea of a choose-your-own-adventure story is not necessarily new. A choose-your-own-adventure as an entity, as a brand, I think it kind of died down in maybe after the 90s. I, I could be wrong on this in terms of the timeline, but it kind of came back. And they, they have a, if you look at the books now, they have a little bit of a history in the back which shows the history of just the Choose Your Own Adventure books and also just the history of interactive storytelling in that same way, uh, just in general. So it's, it's, a, it's a, I guess, an art form that's been around for some time where the story takes multiple different uh, avenues depending on your choices. So really nothing new, but to my knowledge, uh, there's no Rocketeer stories that were done that way. And so I thought I would, I would actually flesh that out because they're really the the skeleton was there. It just needed to be put into place. And now I have it. It's uh, on this site called Wattpad, which is a a site that uh, often authors will use to put drafts of their works up so that people who read them can uh, obviously look at them, but also comment on them. And uh, because it, it allows you to make inline comments, kind of like as you were an editor, as well as comment on the whole post as a whole. And so it's a handy thing, I think, from a almost like crowdsourcing perspective. Well, I haven't really used it for for that, but uh, I've I have uh, a few. I think I think it's two two Rocketeer stories on there that I've put up there, and it's kind of an easy way to put something out because it allows you to do chapters very easily. This was quite easy to do in terms of choose your own adventure because essentially for every quote unquote page. Uh, it was a different segment, and what it allowed you to do was that when the, when the story tells you go to sections sixteen or whatever, you just go to the little table of contents and you choose sixteen, and then you you read that, and then when it says like if you want to go here, go to two; if you want to go here, go to thirty, and so then you can very easily navigate that in that way. So that was a, that's kind of a way of introducing the page flip concept of Choose Your Own Adventure, Endless Quest books into a digital format that kind of hides the integrity of the story. Because if you just have it as one long, endless uh, text, one of the things you could do, and you could do this basically old school, is that you could actually start at the beginning of a Choose Your Own Adventure and read all the way to the end. The story wouldn't make sense because it's all out of order, but you could kind of get a sense about ahead of time, like what you would be encountering. Not necessarily cheating, but you, but almost you could kind of see like, oh, how do I get to that particular part? Because I want, to see, I want to get to that particular picture. I want to get to that particular part of the story. And you'd have to kind of figure out, you could kind of deconstruct how to do it. So in a digital format, it's a little bit harder to do that. You still obviously could. When I was doing this, I wrote the story top to bottom, you know, in logical order, but then I had to mix it all up in a way so that it, it you can't just read it in a linear format. We're going to be reading that today. I thought uh, before we actually did that, though, I had a couple of things I actually wanted to do announcement-wise, one of which was, of course, this. Uh, the second is that there's an upcoming episode. So my brother came back on the show. We're going to be talking about the movie Mortal Kombat from the mid-90s, and that's a fun one. 
I had never actually seen that movie before, so that's coming up. Uh, speaking of other podcast episodes, I actually was just on a podcast episode, and it is by a fellow author. The author's name is Melinda Cusera. Uh, she's a fantasy author, and she also does a podcast. And it is one that I discovered uh, probably a couple of months ago. She does a whole series of fantasy books that I'm sort of working my way through. And so I wanted to give her a shout out on the show here because actually we just had the recording and she already uploaded it. So it's actually available. So you'll actually find a link to the show on, the, on, on, on this particular podcast. The, the title of her podcast is uh, Fantasy Lore and More. And it's about her series of books uh, as well as uh, other fantasy authors and their work. So I talked about Empty Hands which is the 13th hour interlude. We had a great conversation just about a number of fantasy elements, uh, as well as writing and aspects of the creative process. And I got to learn a little bit more about how she does things. And so it was, overall, it was, it was a great time. And so I'm including a link to that. It's in uh, YouTube, as well as traditional kind of audio format. So like on Spotify and, and, and play, wherever you listen to podcasts. And I think that uh, in the upcoming months, we're going to try to schedule a time so she can actually come on the show and tell you guys about her work. I have met relatively few uh, people that are uh, fantasy and science fiction authors who also do podcasts. So uh, I think it's kind of cool that uh, when people do multiple different things and try to integrate these different things, as well as also kind of like, you know, share the love of uh, what they do with other people, but also highlight what other people do so that uh, it's not just about their own stuff. And so that was a great conversation. So thanks, Melinda, for having me on. And I look forward to talking to you and go check out her show as well as uh, look forward to her coming back on this one. If, for example, you are actually looking for a way to play podcasts. So the podcast community is, it's interesting because initially there weren't like necessarily like platforms kind of like there are today with like Apple and Spotify and stuff like that. If you use Android, then it's a little bit hard to uh, consume stuff that is primarily on Apple, you know, formerly iTunes. And iTunes or Apple that has its quirks in terms of as a player. There's another one that I recently discovered and I don't know a ton about it, but uh, it's one that I thought I would mention. It's a platform called Fountain, and it is a platform that allows you to essentially listen to podcasts and also sort of technically get paid for them as well. So it basically pays you a set, a, a random amount, basically, uh, of Bitcoin, basically, or, or like a token that you can, I think, exchange for Bitcoin. If you're into that whole world of cryptocurrency, which I'm not really, you'll, you, you may be aware that, that, that's, that there's a fair amount of controversy and shadiness about that whole region, probably rightfully so. Traditionally, I, from what I understand, it's been quite difficult for people to earn cryptocurrencies because the computer power necessary to do the computations would often mean that you had to sink a lot of money uh, into, into a, a, a large computing sort of system, I guess. And, and then, there, then there's often environmental costs because you have to figure out a way to cool these things that are just churning up uh, resources and stuff like that. However, there's you don't necessarily need to do it that way. On a much, much, much smaller scale, there are some apps and other things like that that you can do that allow you to earn a little bit of 
various kinds of cryptocurrencies for ordinary things you do, and such as shopping, is sort of a cashback style program, or like this, like listening to podcasts. There was, there was, there's been a variety of these things over time. A while back, there was one called uh, PodCoin, which uh, was a similar kind of concept. Um, and uh, this is just another one. So I will include a link uh, to where you can actually listen to the 13th Hour or other shows like uh, Melinda's show or uh, most of the other shows that are publicly available through Fountain and, and technically get paid a little bit of something for it. It's not going to make you rich. Um, but a while, years ago, I used to have a segment on this show called the Starving Artist Section where these are little things that you could do in order to sort of subsidize aspects of your work. And uh, this is, I guess, technically would be one of them. So I'll include a link to Fountain as well, because it is a way that you could uh, support the show doing something that you may already do. So there's that. Um, I thought what we would do today is actually read a little bit from the Rocketeer story that I just talked about. And so this is the title of the story is called The Rocketeer versus the Third Reich or you determine the ending. We're going to start at the first segment, essentially chapter one. November 1939, the gleam of the silver Cirrus X3 Mark II rocket pack catches the light of the setting sun as you unstrap it and set it down on the workbench in your hangar in Chaplin Field, formerly the home of Bigelow's Air Circus. Technically, it shouldn't be called that, given the late owner's unfortunate passing last year. This particular story by the way, follows the world of the Rocketeer movie, which is a little bit different than Dave Stevens' Rocketeer world. So, so some of the characters like uh, that featured in the movie didn't were, were a little bit different in the in the book. So or in the uh, uh, in the original comic books. So that being said, Dave Stevens, uh, if you don't know, he was the creator of the Rocketeer, and so um, he. He was a, uh, a consultant to the movie. He even has a little cameo in uh, the movie. But basically, he did a ton of research on the 1930s and 40s in when he was writing The Rocketeer to create the feel of it and the dialogue. He did an excellent job. And then he basically gave all that information to The Rocketeer movie um, people when they wanted to create the feel of 1938. And so I think that's probably one of the reasons why, the when you, if you watch The Rocketeer, movie it feels like they it feels like you're walking in a, a step in time i mean it, obviously it is a period piece but they did a really really nice job in terms of everybody who worked on it uh, of making it really feel like it was of that era and i think a lot of that had to do with the creator dave stevens and all the work he did so anyway uh you know uh cheers to dave and, and his legacy he did a great thing it's bringing all of us together to talk about this this creation that he had and in the comic book that he um, he penned. Anyway, this is following that particular timeline. So change came slowly to the little airstrip in the valley, and the air circus actually ran better in the absence of Otis Bigelow, who had a tendency to throw his weight around in ways that created more chaos than it was worth. Your mechanic and mentor, Ambrose PV Peabody, frowns as he inspects the pack. Cliff, I rebuilt this thing once. Don't ask me to do it again. I should have my head examined for agreeing to do it in the first time. Ah, come on, Peeve. I aren't even dense this time. Clifford, what do you call this? That could have been your gizzard, Peavy grumbles, pointing to a gouge in the housing a few inches where your neck would be. 
That's just a scratch. I'll patch it up this time. Ah, we can fix the machine. Can't fix so, you so easily. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. And uh, just like some of the other works I've done, uh, there are 80s and 90s quotes from movies that are embedded in the text. And so if you, if you figure out all of them, you will get access to a code, which you can use for a prize. And so that is a quote from an 80s movie. I, I got paid this time, though, you counter. Better dough than the old clown act back in Bigelow's day, you gotta admit. The old mechanic grumbles and waves aside the check you'd just been issued as payment from the fire department for assisting them in a rescue their ladders couldn't reach. Ah, you mean you actually got paid this time? Cash on delivery. I suppose this is progress. Better deposit that thing and make sure it doesn't bounce. This town actually ain't exactly overflowing with capital. You shrug and hang up the rest of your gear, dusting the soot from your jacket. There are a few scorch marks on the sleeves that don't come out. We'll mention those, you decide. At least now you have enough to pay this month's rent, the airfield, and the little bungalow you share with Peavy, and maybe a little leftover for a night or two out with Jenny. Given these lean depression years, that's a luxury. Since events of the last year have turned you, Cliff Secor, GB Racer, and sometimes Air Circus Pilot, slash Crop Duster, slash Mechanic, into the helmeted hero known by the papers as the Rocketeer, life has been a blur. While the original rocket pack that spawned the moniker was destroyed last fall, you and PV have managed to reconstruct the pack with a few improvements from plans that your girlfriend, Jenny, had liberated from the house of actor Neville Sinclair, who was really a German spy that managed to infiltrate the ranks of Hollywood. Since then, you have gone on to become something of a local vigilante with an uneasy alliance with the police and fire department. Sometimes they want your help. Sometimes they just consider you a menace. The authorities could be slow and didn't always have the benefits of the everyday citizen in mind. You would like to think that your efforts over the past year have helped to even that up a little. Being a public hero could be exhausting, dangerous work, though, and it sure doesn't pay much, if anything. Half the time, you're lucky to get a thank you. Still, money and gratitude aren't everything. You have to admit, the adrenaline rush of managing one crisis after another has a way of putting things in perspective and drowning out all the incessant, unnecessary chatter in your life. As PV often says, it's all about which, it's all about which choosing, uh, it's all about choosing which is less of a headache. You put the check from the fire department in your wallet to cash later and clean yourself up before heading over to the Bulldog Diner, the little cafe near the airfield whose exterior is shaped like a bulldog. The familiar smell of coffee, baked goods, and fried eggs envelops you as Millie, the proprietress, shouts over the sound of the griddle. Hey Cliff, what'll it be? Hey Millie, just give me the special, please. You got it. You slide into a booth and look at the old photos of flyers past and present. Within a few minutes, PV comes in with a grin on his face and slides in front of you. Wow, you look like you just ate a canary, you say, remarking on your friend and mentor's unusually good spirits. It's been seven years. Just goes to show you, never give up, Clifford. Check out what came in the mail today. What are you talking about, you ask PV as uh, he waves a letter in front of you. You pick it up and read the handwritten note. Dear Ambrose, I hope it won't seem too forward, but I think about you and our last meeting every day. Folks our age can't afford to waste time, and I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with you. Please meet me at the Village Cafe on Main Street, November 13th at 7 p.m. I'd love to see you again. Love, Flora Maxwell. Flora Maxwell? Is this for real? You haven't heard from her since 1932. Is there a return address on this thing? No, and I don't need one. Peavy glances at the clock and rises suddenly. Well, 
Clifford, gotta get ready. Where are you going? You didn't even need anything yet. Don't need to. Today's the 13th, Clifford. I have an hour to get downtown. Bye, fellas. Bye, Millie. Got me a date I ain't gonna miss. He shows him the note, and Millie lets out a peal of laughter, and a few of the regulars, who also worked at the airfield, chuckle and slap him on the back. You stand there flummoxed. You're just gonna let him go? Oh, come off it, Cliff. Let him have a little fun. That note didn't seem at all weird to you? Oh, leave him alone, Cliff. That woman's right. Folks our age can't afford to wait around. Just eat your dinner. You feel a bit foolish, but still can't quite get rid of a nagging thought that there is something fishy about the sudden letter from Peavy's last date seven years ago. He and Flora dated for about a half a year, and you'd never seen the old codger that happy. Peavy had even asked you to accompany him when he looked at wedding rings. You thought Peavy was being a bit premature with all that and had said so, but Peavy told you to mind your beeswax and be helpful or scram. And then one day, Peavy had come home dejected and would not say much, although you gathered Peavy had been stood up. He'd made many attempts to call and write without success. One day, he finally said, well, that's that, and he heard no more about the matter. It had taken about a month for him to come out of his low mood, and he'd never spoken of what happened other than to say he was done with dating. You heard the news on the radio giving an update on the war in Europe. With all the bad things going on in the world and the seemingly never-ending depression going on in the States, you can't begrudge Peavy a little levity. You finish your meal and try to be happy for your friend. You think about stopping by the boarding house where Jenny lodges just to say hi when you remember she's working late tonight. So you head back home and decide to have a quiet evening in. You yawn as you stroll back, your ankles, knees, and hips complaining from a recent rough landing. Nothing like a succession of those to make you feel like an old man sometimes. Maybe a soak in a hot bath in an early night on the cards for tonight. By the time you climb into bed, you still haven't heard the front door open. You still feel unsettled for reasons you can't explain, but brush it off as just being tired. As you close the cover of the book you've been trying to read unsuccessfully, you think to yourself, well, maybe the old codger got lucky before you pass out. The crowing of a rooster rouses you the next morning. You grumble, look at the time, and fall back asleep. You had a very weird dream where you and Jenny are flying PV over to Europe in the GB, of all things, which has somehow expanded to include seats for two extra people, and even a spot on the floor for Butch, Millie's uh, bulldog. Then right in the middle of the Atlantic, you notice the gas gauge is empty. At that point, as the plane starts to plummet toward the choppy dark waters, you jolt awake, realizing you, now, you have now overslept. You'd agreed to be at the airfield at 9 a.m. to help with, the, with scenic tours a wealthy patron had organized for his daughter's 16th birthday. It is normally the sort of thing you'd avoid with a 10-foot pole, but the agreed-upon pay is good, assuming you show up. Shaking yourself awake, you rush to get ready. As you're heading downstairs, you happen to see that the door to Peavy's room is still ajar, and his bed looks untouched. You don't really have time to process it as you grab an apple and a piece of bread and jump in your motorcycle as you zoom toward the airfield. You make it there at 9.03 a.m. Pretty good for you. Punctuality isn't exactly your thing. After a moment, or a morning, in which you and the other pilots of the airfield give biplane tours of the valley to the Boudreaux family, you finally have a chance to catch your breath. Christ, you mutter after helping Samantha Boudreaux holding her stomach into her waiting limo. With nary a thanks, they drive off, leaving a cloud of red dust all over you and the other pilots. You'd drawn the short straw and had gotten the birthday girl as a passenger. She'd complained incessantly during the entire pre-fright orientation and for most of the flight. The only good th thing about getting her in the air was that you weren't able to hear. That is, until she yelled, Faster! Faster! Can't this piece of junk go any faster? 
And so he complied, even throwing in a few twists and turns to, to Miss Boudreaux's excited whoops. And then she'd vomited. Well, at least they paid first, says Goose, one of the aircraft mechanics, uh, waving away a cloud of uh, dust. Or maybe it's a smell coming from the inside of your plane. How the hell am I going to clean this up, you grumble, serving the wooden interior of the Curtis Jenny JN4 you'd taken Miss Boudreaux up in. Just my luck. Of course, Goose and the others think it's hilarious. Hey, Peavy, bring me a hose, will ya? You shout as the others retreat, holding their noses and stifling laughter. No reply. Peavy? And then, you remember you hadn't seen him this morning. You search your hangar, but Peavy's nowhere to, found, nowhere to be found. The engine he'd been working on yesterday is just as he'd left it. Frowning, you do your best to spray down the cockpit, hoping the afternoon sun will take care of the rest. Hey, any of you guys seen Peavy, you asked after you've finished? But no one has. The odd premonition that all is not well comes back and does not go away. Now is where you, dear reader, have the first chance to help Cliff make a choice which may alter the storyline. Should, should your choice cause the story to end, you can return and make another. So what would you like to do next? Choice A is wait. Go to 5. B. Call the police. Go to 10. C. Go to the diner where the rendezvous was supposed to occur. Go to 2. Well, what would you like to do? Give you a moment to think about it, and then I'll make a choice. I think we should go to the diner where the rendezvous was supposed to occur. So let's use the table of contents and go to 2. You figure that you've waited enough. You head over to the diner. The authorities are already there when you pull up, confirming your fears that something is amiss. When you walk in, some men in suits are questioning a tired-looking young woman behind the cash register. She turns to you briefly and says that the diner is closed for today, but you says actually why you're there. You vaguely remember one of the FBI agents from the nasty business with a rocket pack, the Nazi invasion, and, the, and Neville Sinclair last fall. Looks like he remembers you, too. Secor, why are you always around when there's trouble? It's a question, but he says it like a statement as he stares you down. Why don't you let us handle this, Secord? And the woman at the counter looks over at that uh, moment and says, Did I hear right? Is your last name Secord, sir? Yes, that's correct, ma'am. She looks over at the agent and says, That's what one of those men with the accent said. Something like, Do you know the Secord? Or something like that. They were quite loud and rude. That's when I noticed them. I asked one of the waitresses what was going on, and she said that they'd been rude to her too and just ordered coffee. I started watching them after that. They said something about Secord this and Secord that and something about a rocket. I didn't understand it, but then I knew something was fishy when they grabbed the old man and let him outside into a car. I called the police after that. The agent closest to you makes a face, shakes his head, and mutters, All right, Secord. Don't exactly know what your buddy got himself mixed up in, but tell us what you know. After you relay what little you know, the agent sighs and motions for you to sit down in a booth. Thankfully, he doesn't broadcast he knows you're the rocketeer, though you know he knows. He explains that after the business last year with the Nazi invasion, the FBI started keeping close tr closer track of German activity stateside. For some time, they had been investigating a seemingly unrelated case of missing rocket scientists around the country. When the local police alerted them that after the cashier's call yesterday, the pieces started to fall into place. Now, with Peavy's disappearance, they suspect these are German attempts to recruit and kidnap rocket engineers for the Third Reich. Uh, we got a lead on a vehicle matching the cashier's description. It was abandoned near an airstrip where we think they chartered a plane east. 
We got records from uh, three men and someone matching Peavy's description from a source in Chicago. What, you, you think they kidnapped him or taking him where? In New York? Germany, probably. Our sources in Europe suggest there's a chateau in northern Germany that may be their base of operations, but we've never really been able to confirm that. Not really sure how we would do that now. Tracking them there, at least officially, may take days to weeks to arrange and probably cause an international scandal. U.S. is supposed to be neutral, even if Europe is going to hell in a handbasket. Well, you, you think the boat they came over can be stopped before it leaves? Eh, I don't think it'll be that easy, Seacourt. Our sources are correct. Those three men flew here. You pause. Flying across the Atlantic had been done, of course. It was still not exactly commonplace. If they flew, that meant not only did they have help, the window to act was narrowing. I know what you're thinking, kid, but you being a pilot and all. We can make flights like that, too. Well, I mean, not us, the military, but there's no way Uncle Sam will give us the go-ahead. He pauses. So you're saying there's nothing we can do? The agent shrugs and looks over his shoulder. Look, Secord, what I'm about to tell you can go nowhere, understand? He stares at you hard. You feel like a kid sitting in the hot seat at the principal's office. I understand. We might be able to arrange uh, an alternative ar- arrangement. You're off the books, if you're open to hearing it. He makes some motion with his fingers, like a rocket taken off. A damn rocket, you think. She just left it alone, like Peavy said. Now look at the mess we're in again because of it. You're not sure what to do. You don't exactly trust the FBI, as they, like the police, haven't exactly been great to you in the past. Still, if they know something, they could help Peavy. So what would you like to do? A. Go back home. You're in over your head, and you know it. Let the authorities do their job. Go to 26. B. Call the airfield first. Is there anyone who can fly you to Germany? Go to 21. C. You listen to the FBI's offer. Go to 3. Well, what should we do? If we go back home, that seems like just kicking the can down the road, doesn't it? Yeah. Also, there probably won't be much of a story if we do that. If we choose B, if we go to the airfield, is there anyone who can fly you to Germany? Well, you have a GB. That's certainly not going to make it all the way to Germany. Why don't we listen to the FBI's offer? Let's see what they have to say. Go to three. As you begin listening to the G-man's pitch, you suddenly start weighing the pros and cons in your head. It takes all your effort to focus on his lips because the racing thought starts to spin immediately the second he starts talking. It sounds fishy, but really, what options do you have if you want to help Peavy? Something official is probably not going to happen due to politics and the recent start of another war in Europe. You don't have access to a plane that can fly transatlantic, and even if you somehow did, a trip of that magnitude would probably would take longer than a few days to plan successfully. A boat, on the other hand, would take too long. The FBI has been working with the military in this case, and the U.S. military does have the air power to fly you there. Jenny's voice joins Peavy's this time in your head. Think this through, Cliff. Don't rush in. You take a deep breath and try to push away the incessant chatter. If this is worth doing, you need to listen with full attention. Secor, you all there? You listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry, distracted. This, this is a lot. Yeah, it is, the agent nods. If you want to help your friend, there might be a way, but listen close, all right, Secor? Here's the deal. Agent says, although Uncle Sam can't be doing anything militaristic, that doesn't mean, uh, how should we say, a, a civilian contractor can't go to do... Do a little recon. You can get to places we can't. Do I have to spell it out for you? So you want me to fly around, see if I can find this hideout where they're working on the rockets? Exactly. We can arrange transportation for you there, and our contacts in Europe can meet you to guide you 
as far as our info goes. Like I said, there's a chateau accessible by road that we think is the location of the hideout. You read between the lines. I'd be flying over how in a U.S. military plane? Wouldn't that be kind of obvious? Does the gov- government even have planes that can go that far? L- look, Secret, I don't know. You're the flyboy. Trust in Uncle Sam. We can do things you can't even dream of. But I'll give you this. You have a point. The Germans are going to be on the lookout for us tracking them. We can work that out. Okay, fair. A lot, lot of hand-waving there, but I, assuming that all works out, what you're saying is that once I get into Germany, I'm basically on my own. Well, I mean, you have the support of our colleagues in Denmark who help you cross the border into Germany. They have a vested interest in figuring this out too. Germany's their next-door neighbor. Okay, and assuming I do find the prisoners, how I get them out? Same way you got in. But let's not put the, heart, the cart before the horse. If you're going to do this, Secor, we don't have a lot of time. The final details can be worked out soon enough. You want to take a bit to think it over? You're stepping into a war zone. You don't need to take a bit. As crazy as this shoddy plan sounds, it's the best chance you have, given the resources you have available to help PV. War or no war, if you don't do everything you can now, you know you'll regret it for the rest of your life. I'm in, you say, to the G-man, and he nods. An hour later, you're back at your bungalow packing. The FBI men have a car outside and wait until you while you wrap up. You debate stopping at Jenny's before you, before leaving. You know you should, but you know she will worry and try to talk you out of the whole thing. Still, she's always telling you to be more open, to slow down and trop, stop trying to take on the whole world by yourself. What would you like to do? If you decide to stop at Jenny's boarding house before going out, go to A, do it to 8. If you decide not to worry her, you will just leave a note instead. Go to 20. Well, I think we should stop at Jenny's, because if we don't, we won't get a chance to introduce Jenny into this podcast and have another character. So let's go to eight. You asked to stop over at Jenny's boarding house before leaving, and the G-men wait in the foyer while, you're, while you head up to Jenny's room. Truth be told, you've been kind of dreading this part. She deserves to know, but you know she's not going to like it. The news of Peavy's disappearance due to Nazi involvement caused her eyes to go wide, after all, she was kidnapped last year by Neville Sinclair, a Hollywood actor who was secretly a Nazi agent, and the aftermath of the, that series of events is still fresh. You explain what little you know and try to gloss over the parts you don't yet understand. Her eyes get wide with surprise when you mention the stop at Denmark, but you barrel on, hoping to keep the momentum going. As expected, she tries to talk you out of the whole thing, but when she sees your mind is made up, she sighs and throws up her hand. Cliff Secourt, you are going to be the death of me. Do you know that? Do you know honestly any other woman who would put up with all this? No, not really. You pause. Look, look, Jen, remember last year when Sinclair and the Germans took you? I was about to go out of my mind. And I did all those things, chasing the Zeppelin, fighting Sinclair and the Nazis, because, well, someone had to, because it was the only way to make sure you were safe. That was the most important thing. You, I didn't care about anything else. And now the same damn thing is happening to Peavy. Jenny sighs. I know, Cliff, and I love you for it. I know you got to go. I, I, just, I just wish it didn't have to be you. Me too. What she says next surprises you. I know this isn't exactly the best time. I wasn't going to tell you earlier, but I also have some unexpected news. I'm going to be heading to Europe as well. It's your turn to do a double take. Wait, what? Where? When? Why? She squirms a bit and says, Well, I'm leaving tomorrow, and we're going to Denmark too. A month ago, I auditioned for hosting and narrating a military training video that I guess was for the British, you know, for their war effort. Totally forgot about it and just got the news that I got the gig yesterday. But, but well, why can't you do the filming here? She shrugs. Well, that's where the job is. To be honest, the pay could be better, but the director is fantastic. This is a great opportunity. 
Plus, it's a paid trip to Europe. The ride over looks fantastic. Jen, there's a war going on over there. I know, Cliff. That's what the training video is for. But Denmark is currently neutral, and the director says we'll be perfectly safe. We'll take every precaution. Besides, he said I'll be all over by Christmas. Jen, that's what people were saying in 1914. You know how that all turned out. Jenny puts her hands on her hips and stamps her foot. All right, Cliff Secor, just say what you mean to say. You get to go on adventures around the world, but I can't. Is that right? No, you say in exasperation. It's not about that at all. I'd rather just not do any of this. I'm just going to help a friend of mine since the U.S. government can't or won't, and there doesn't seem to be any other way. There's a knock at the door. The G-man doesn't wait for a reply for peeking ahead in. Uh, ate the brick up the goodbyes, but Secor, you guys good? The lady who runs the place is quiet hours. It's getting a little loud up here. Just passing it on. Don't shoot the messenger. Ten minutes, Secourt. He turns to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be there in a minute. Just got to clear this. Sir? Jenny interrupts, catching the agent's intention as he saunters off down the hall. Are you people taking the cliff to Copenhagen? The agent stops, turns around, and frowns. Why? He asks slowly. Well, I'm going there tomorrow, too. The agent rolls his eyes. Way to keep a secret, Secourt. She's fine, you say. Jen, let's just... No, hold on, Cliff. I have an idea. Uh-oh, you say to yourself. Jenny continues. Both you and I have to go to Denmark. That's where my job is, and presumably that's where yours begins. We could go together. Ma'am, interrupts the agent. Look, not, not to throw a wet blanket over your uh, romantic getaway or whatever, but this is official government business. U.S. citizens' lives are at stake. We can't... I thought you said this is all unofficial, you butt in. Diplomatic neutrality, wasn't that what you said? The agent makes a motion like he wants to wring both of your necks. Ah, you know what I meant. We don't have time for... You ignore him and turn to Jenny. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? How are you guys getting over there? Your Hollywood people can pull off the kinds of things that us regular chumps can only dream of. Naturally. I think it's some kind of big flying boat. I don't, I don't know what it's called. They have uniformed waiters and everything. We even get to stop in Ireland first. You smack your head. The Boeing 314. Of course. It's basically... A big flying cruise. You turn to the agent. Do you see? If I can get on that flight, that solves our conspicuous military transport issue. The agent looks confused. Look, are the Germans really going to expect someone tracking them is going to pursue them in a luxury airliner like that? Like that no one in this country can afford? You seem to be mulling it over. Jenny whispers. The gears turn slow with this one. You stifle a laugh. Finally, the agent shakes his head as if clearing the cobwebs. You people have been reading too many comic books. This is all... Highly irregular. It's another 80s quote there. I mean, I'll give you this. You got a point. It's not a bad idea. I got to ask, well, I got to talk to my people in Washington about this. I can get Cliff a seat. I'm sure of that. The director's wife can't go. So I know there's at least one extra ticket. I just got to make a call. The agent gives you a pained look and grumbles. Fine. Let me find a phone. Five minutes later, when Jenny hangs up the phone, she's grinning ear to ear. So exciting, she whispers. I can't believe it. She had talked to a friend handling tickets who said she'd save Jenny the extra tickets, no questions asked. A few minutes later, the G-man appears. All right, you two, you win, okay? You win. Talked to my boss. Turns out he liked the idea. He said we're going to need all the details about the flight. When it arrives, we can arrange things with our men in Europe. Oh, and stand here for a minute, he says, pointing to the white wall. He pulls out a camera. Need a few shots for your fake passport. A few snaps later. All right, Secord. Ma'am, see you in the morning. Don't be late. The next morning at 0700, you all reconvene to go over the final plans. Since Jenny's flight leaves in a few hours, there isn't a lot of time to get the arrangements ready, and some will have to be done in the next few days as you and Jenny make your way east. You're given a doctored passport as a Norwegian national with an alias as a traveling businessman working for the Freya Candy Company, 
the makers of a chocolate-covered wafer bar called Quick Lunch. The agent gives you a, a case of them to take on the trip. We wanted something we had on hand to build a story for you. My brother bought these back from a trip last year. If anybody doubts you, just pull out a candy bar and offer it to them. You'd be surprised how often that works like a charm. He also hands you a little English-Norwegian phrase book and another one in German. Might want to study these on the flight over. He says, before giving you a tiny silver camera to take pictures for reconnaissance, you marvel at the camera's design. VEF Minox Riga is engraved on one side. Will this thing really work, you ask? It's not much bigger than a pack of Beeman's gum. Sure does. Marvel of modern engineering. Just hit the market. You mind taking a picture of Jenny and the agent rolls her eyes. Pay attention and don't waste the film secret. That's Uncle Sam's property. Well, this is what I want for Christmas, you tell Jenny. Yeah, fat chance, flyboy, the agent mutters. Jenny ignores him. Let's just work on getting you in character on the flight over, Jenny whispers to you with a smile. Uh, we still got to sort out the rest of the arrangements, but uh, that can be done on your way over. He explains that once you get to Denmark, an agent will arrange for you to be smuggled over the German border on a supply train going to a town nestled in the Harz Mountains, the supposed location of the chateau of the German rocketry program. After that, all is done. There's nothing left to do but board the plane, taking you and Jenny on the first leg of your journey up to Canada and then east, where you will catch the transatlantic flight. Good luck, Rocketeer, he says, so only you can hear as he shakes your hand. You turn to Jenny as you board the plane to Canada. Well, you know that trip to Paris I always joked about his taking? Well, what do you know? Jenny hugs your arm and says, it's going to be great. I'm worried about what happens once you get to Germany, though. That part seems a little half-baked. Yeah... Hopefully the guy in Denmark knows more. I'm trying not to think too far ahead, since the more I think about it, the less sense this all makes. Let's just help get you in character for right now. Good thing you have me here. This is what I do for a living. Let's see your passport. You open the passport and stifle a laugh. You look half asleep. At least both of your eyes are open. Wilhelm Alfier. Not sure how to pronounce the last name. Should have asked. Jenny isn't sure either, but says some of the people working on the movie set might speak some Norwegian. She claps her hands together and gushes over the first name they chose, they chose for you. Oh, Wilhelm. I love it. So, so romantic, like a, like a knight on horseback. And now, milady, may I present Sir Wilhelm, Jenny says with a flourish. No, oh, brother. I always thought if I ever had a son, I'd name him Elliot. But Wilhelm has a nice ring to it, don't you think? No. And Elliot? You can't name a kid Elliot. Why not? Elliot is a fat kid with glasses who eats paste. Another quote from an 80s movie. Jenny bursts and giggles. He is not. Ellie is a very sweet boy who most certainly will not eat paste or pick his nose or do all those vile things little boys do. As you settle into your seats, you meet Jenny's co-workers. You're initially pretty standoffish. You have no idea what to say to movie star types in normal circumstances. And now, with an alter ego to consider, you're even more tongue-tied than usual. You take an immediate dislike to the director of photography since he looks a bit like a pig-headed man named Otis Bigelow who used to run the air show at the airfield where you and PB rent a hangar, but you try to rein yourself in. So if you decide to meet Jenny's co-workers and not make a scene, go to six. Or you decide that mingling with uh, the bourgeois and the nouveau riche is not something that Cliff, Cliff Secord would ever do. You're going to stick to yourself all the way to Europe. In that case, go to 28. So at this point... I will let you decide what you want to do. You will find a link to uh, the story in the show notes uh, where you can where you can determine the ending <laughs> and uh, and see how the story goes from there. 
I will say, I will say, as it mentions in the introduction, that there are multiple endings. There is one quote unquote good ending that gets you from the States to Europe and back again in one piece. But there's another, there's a couple of others that are also equally, equally as interesting. I would say that, uh, uh, the direct solution, uh, the direct solution to problems is not necessarily always the most interesting or maybe the best. Uh, being open-minded to new experiences and so forth may in fact get you further and allow, accepting help from other people uh, may also be a good thing to consider as well. Uh, fortune may, may in fact favor the bold, but it probably also goes well if you uh, are prepared and are prepared to make your own luck and don't necessarily decide to do everything yourself. So that's uh, I could probably that's true for life as well as in uh, this fantasy world. So uh, thank you for for joining. Uh, you can find this and uh, more episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, stay tuned for more in the future. Thanks so much for listening. I will talk to you next time. Hey, a couple last minute things before you go. Thanks for listening to this show. If you liked it, you can find many more on the website 13thhr.wordpress.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. You can often find behind the scenes information about this show and other things that I do on social media, such as Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You'll see links to those in the show notes. Sometimes people will ask me, how can I help contribute to the show or other things that, that I do? And probably one of the easiest ways is by going over to Facebook and looking up the Facebook group called 13th Hour Arts. And it's a place for not only to discuss these kinds of things, but also for you to share your own creative process and the things that you're doing that bring meaning to your life. You can also do things that are entirely free, such as leaving a review for a book, music, this particular podcast, share it with friends, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform, email me, W-R-I-T-E-J-O-S-H-U-A-B-L-U-M at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your suggestions and comments. You can also leave a one-time donation over at Coffee, and that's K-O-F-I slash 13THHR. It's basically like a virtual tip jar, kind of like the sort of thing like a piano player might have at a bar or something like that. For a small amount, you can also leave a donation on a monthly basis at Patreon, and that helps bring new things to this particular show and to support future projects. And that's at 13th Hour Arts. It's also a place for patrons to share their own creative process and the things that bring inspiration and meaning to them. I hope by sharing a little bit of the creative process in this particular show, it gets people to cultivate that aspect of their own life and to remember that those things are important even if you are an adult and you may not have time for it. Hopefully by paying attention to those aspects of your own life, you can remember your own dreams and aspirations and help create a world and make a world that you want to be in. And at the end of the day, that's sort of what the 13th hour is about. So thanks as always for listening and I'll talk to you guys next week.